We're back. Just like I said, we'd be back. This is For the Glory KC, where we bring a mix of in-depth Kansas City soccer knowledge and a more casual perspective. I'm Chad Smith, Associate Editor at KCSoccerJournal.com. Try to take you a little more in-depth, and I'm joined, as always, by my wife, who does not get a wrestling nickname, (laughs) Sheena Smith, who gives us that casual perspective. Sheena, what's up? Hey, Chad. Not much. Happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. Yes, we are recording on Sunday. It would be a happier Father's Day if sporting could win soccer games they should win. But I digress. On today's episode, we're going to talk Sporting Kansas City's collapse against LAFC. You can probably hear the strain in my voice. I was there in the crowd as a fan doing a little bit of yelling, and it's uh, it's showing today. Uh, we're going to talk U.S. men's national team. Both they hired a new coach, well, or an old coach, and uh, they beat the tar out of Mexico the other day. I will talk the KC Current played twice this week and the digital crawl, y'all. Sheena, any nonsense before we get right to it? Yes, Chad, I do. I wanted to talk about our experience at Phase Fest. I don't know if it's anyone... It's not just a phase, Mom. Yeah, they had a big like thing over the stage that said that. It was... I had a lot of fun. I didn't love all the bands, but... I really enjoyed the headliner, All American Rejects. For those who don't know what Phase Fest is, I think it's supposed to be like a pop punk versus emo concert. It seemed like they kind of had an identity crisis because the bands didn't really match up with like all the signage on the TVs and stuff or the screens. But there was some fun throwbacks, the Ataris, if anyone knows that band we loved back in college, and Plain White Tees, Story of the Year, Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, yeah, and then Dashboard Confessional, who I adore, and then all-American rejects, and I had a good time. Yeah, I did too. I think you're never going to find that you like all the bands, and I'd say about half of those I was there to see, but, you know, it was still fun, good energy, even the bands I didn't like. Like, Story of the Year probably put on the best show, but I don't know them at all besides their one single, so they were... They were fun, but it was a little too screamo for me. I will say Sheena and I had several comments throughout the night where we were just like, oh, we should write these down. This is like a tweet of all the things old people say. Because we're like, (laughs) oh, this story of the year starts screaming a lot. It's kind of giving me a headache. Yeah, (laughs) we didn't pre-Advil before we got to the game or the concert. Yeah, it's it's an old person problem right there. So. Uh, not it a was. phase for me, though, because my musical tastes have been set since I was about 25 and I still listen to the exact same bands and the same records because I started to realize like All American Rejects. I was like, but did they release albums after those first two? I don't know any of them because <laughs> I just knew the old stuff. So but that was fine. You know, that's mostly what they played. That's when they were at their biggest, I would say. I thought All American Rejects was the best out of the bands. I did like the energy of Story of the Year, but All American Rejects, like I thought they were fantastic and I would totally see them again. Yeah, and at the uh, risk of going too much into this music, uh, Plain White Tees, my theory was that they were bitter that they three bands went on after them because they were like... They were like, let's just play a ton of new music in a row that no one knows. And like the crowd was just talking. They weren't even paying attention. Like they were fun when they played stuff people knew, but they're like, hey, let's play another new one. I'm like, we've played like five new ones in a row. Like, let's <laughs> chill out here, guys. Like, play, play dance. We're old. We came to hear the stuff we grew up on. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also had a term elder emo and retired emo. So I liked those. Oh, retired emo kid was, I think, what I was seeing yeah. on the t shirts. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So if you're anyway, into 
was uh, emo mm-hmm. or pop punk. That was our that was our jam in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s for sure. Or in Chad's case, still forever, still yeah, forever. still what I listen to. Uh, we should change subjects because I'll sit here. Music is more my bread and butter. Where uh, th- this is where I've got the casual perspective, and Sheena can go more yeah. in depth. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. <laughs> Let's talk about something more upsetting. Let's talk about Sporting Kansas City losing to LAFC. Womp, so, womp. 90th minute goal from Carlos Vela undoes Sporting Kansas City. Uh, lost two to one. Lots of controversy. I've I've spent a lot of time looking back at the plays, and uh, the thing I can boil it down to the most is effing Kyrie Shelton and kind of for me for putting him into the game. Uh, the The game ended with a controversy because a, a goal was taken away from Roger Espinoza because of Shelton committing a foul in the build-up, the quote, in the build-up. 21 seconds before the goal was scored, they called it a foul, and then they take it away, and then he keeps Carlos Vela on side for the game-winning goal. So back-to-back bad plays from the right-back position, and down goes Sporting KC on what felt like a very winnable game. LA was missing a lot of players, international duty, guys were hurt. They started... Every player on their starting front line was 21 or younger. They played a couple guys from LAFC 2, I believe. Like It was mm-hmm. just a very young lineup. Kind of overall thoughts on the game, Sheena? It was disappointing. Like you said, it felt like it could be a winnable game. And I think where my frustration with this came in is that Kyrie came on and went into the right back position when Jake Davis came off for Johnny Russell And I thought, I'm fine with Johnny Russell coming in. It was exciting to see Johnny Russell back in the game. Like I knew he was on his road to recovery and he moved to questionable during the week. So it was, I think, a fun surprise probably for the fans to see him come on. But at the same time, I wish they would have taken somebody else off instead of Jake Davis and not moved Kyrie into the right back position because I thought Jake Davis was playing fine. I don't know that he looked tired to me. And I really hope we never see Kyrie in the right back position. He had that one game where he was decent and the the bar is so low for him that we were just like, oh my gosh, he played better than in on the right back than he did in any other like forward position. But really that experiment needs to end just like the Cam Duke experiment ended. Kyrie needs to end. Sadly, I don't think it's going to end because Vermees has something that he loves about Kyrie and so I, I don't know. It's unfortunate Kyrie's the reason that we lost that game on two different plays. Yeah. Well, and by extension, Peter Vermees is the reason because he put Kyrie yeah. there. He put him in that bad spot. So I, I'm not trying to defend Kyrie, but you know, he still made the mistakes. So let's let's <laughs> talk about the two plays more specifically. So Vela scores. I was in the cauldron and everybody's like is this ref blind? They're singing the I'm blind. I'm deaf. I'm born to be a ref chant. And <laughs> I've never heard that one. Yeah. And cause to admittedly like the replay they showed on the screen in the stadium just shows Vela off by a mile. Cause he's half past Rosero and past uh, Castellanos. But what they don't show is the camera is not wide enough. They don't show that side angle of Kyrie jogging back and out of position. Now, Sheena, I don't know if you saw this after the game, Peter kind of defended Kyrie saying, Kyrie of course did he the, did. He did the right thing. He came back to get wide for a pass to uh, from uh, McIntosh. So he's back wide for the pass, and that's why he's so far back. And I think. 
think that's wrong. Like if you look at how this team builds out of the back, who comes and gets to the side to take those passes? The center backs and Castellanos and Rosero were up the field. So yes, maybe Kyrie didn't understand what he was supposed to be doing. And he's thinking he's doing the right thing. And Peter, I don't know why he's defending him, probably to try to justify all the money he's given the guy. But he he should be up the field. Like the fullbacks are always kind of up a little further than the center backs and giving like that angle for the center backs to pass to, but everybody else had gone up the field. You should be up the field too. So then the long ball goes out. Aaron long sends it immediately back to Velo single touch, like played it right out of the air. Yeah. So like, why did no one else contest him and let him have that easy of a ball too? to be fair, like the midfield or somebody should be in the way of Aaron Long. He's a center back going all the way up there and winning that thing. But I, I blame Kyrie and Peter. They got, they got to go hand in hand right on that play. And even after the game, we, we were walking out. I was with a buddy and everybody's like, I still cannot believe they didn't take that goal back. And I was like, well, Shelton came kept him on. And they're like, of course it was Kyrie. <laughs> like the people were very upset. So uh, that was the first of the mistakes. Do you have any other thoughts about that one, Sheena? Yeah, you could tell on the because I wasn't at the game. I was watching it at home. You could tell that he kept him onside. Well, I couldn't tell, but the the announcers could tell, and they weren't questioning it. Like, oh, maybe this guy is off. And if I think I understand offsides, like he 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 wasn't offsides. Kyrie, I, I do think kept him on. So. Just unfortunate. The other complaint I would say about that is that maybe this is me just not knowing enough about soccer, but McIntosh, I understand he was trying to get up field to try to block the ball from going in, but because he was so far up, like that gave more opportunity, I felt like, for uh, the LA guy to to score. So So I I disagree on that. I think... And he's fine. all he's literally all alone with Vela. And I think you've got to come out and try to cut down the angle because if you leave him the whole net, he just can pick a corner and just pass it into the net versus if you come at him and pressure him, he's got to hit it right to kind of get it around you. But Vela's great. I mean, he's a former MLS MVP, so he's been a little cold. We probably got him off his cold streak and he's going to be hot now. So you're welcome. Oh, LAFC yes. fans. Yeah. yeah. A uh, bit of a bummer there. You mentioned something before, and I, I I meant to say something, and I didn't. You said, well, we, we gave Kyrie a pass because he was pretty good at right back in his first game. I he said he was on. okay. He was okay. Fairness. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I think, yeah, he was mostly okay until he wasn't okay, and he was barely back there. And if you'll remember, they were up 2 nothing on FC Dallas in that game. The ball gets played over the top of Kyrie, but then McIntosh screwed it up because he came way outside of his box and – Hazes Ferrer just passed it around him into the net. And so, I I mean, yeah, Kyrie at right back, I don't get it. Kyrie, Kyrie shouldn't, just like we said last week, he shouldn't be coming in the game unless they're ahead. And he should be coming in on the forward line to go run really hard, pressure, and put the game away. And to put him in that position, it goes back to what you're talking about. Peter had a plan. Johnny Russell's going to play 15 minutes or whatever his plan is. And even though it didn't make sense, he still put him into the game. The team was actually playing pretty well. Kyrie wasn't doing great on the right wing, but it wasn't impeding them that much. He had actually, he'd had a couple of like times the ball would get passed to Kyrie and he would do his Kyrie thing where he'd take too many touches <laughs> and he'd lose the ball. I feel bad, but it's true. It's true. He, he does yeah. that. And, but they were still creating opportunities and then they they make this change and yeah i I, people were getting mad they're like why why can't jake davis play 90 minutes i was like i'm pretty sure he could play 90 minutes i don't think that was the case at all maybe peter's plan was to rest him because he knows he's got the galaxy again on wednesday and then a, a game against chicago back here on sunday but or saturday rather i'm sorry so 
you know, three times in eight days, maybe, but Kyrie shouldn't be the guy going back there. Hopefully, Bear Hernandez at right back. The problem was he brought Kyrie in in the first place. And then because you brought him in where Russell was going to go, you either had to take Polito or Shallowy out if you still wanted to put Russell on and not force Kyrie to go to defense. But like I said, I hope that experiment's done. I tweeted after the game if we ever see him at right back again, it'll be a mistake. And then Every, there was so many replies to the tweet that were like, if we ever see him again, that will be a mistake. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of true. Like, he's it, just it is. It's sad <laughs> because he is a super genuine, nice human being, it seems yeah. like, from every interaction I've ever had with him. But he's guaranteed for another two and a half years. He makes over $600,000 a year. He screws up too much for that. Well, somebody asked me on Twitter what my solution was. And I was like, you cut him. You buy him out. You pay off that contract and you go use that money. You can do one buyout per season. Theoretically, they should use it on either Ben Sweat or Uri Rosell, who they've already cut. But get out from under Kyrie now and go use that money to get somebody that, that's better on the forward lines. I just, he he's not a fit. I would agree with that. I have a question for you, Chad. I don't know if you know if anyone has ever asked this at like a press conference or just interviewing P- Peter Vermees, has he come out and said, like, I come out with this game plan? Or is this more of like your theory is that he has this plan and he sticks with it regardless? Because to me, Kyrie doesn't make sense, especially in that right back position, because LAFC is a really good team. If we have the opportunity to get all three points or even a point, like why would you even risk that? Like Kyrie is not a natural right back. That's a new position for him. So why even risk that? But it goes back to like, if that was Peter Vermees' plan, has anyone ever asked him, does he pre-think about this ahead of time or, or what? He's pretty good about not telling us exactly what he's thinking, and he's always going to say he's not going to do it. But it, this is just not just mine, but the observation of many people. Uh, actually, my colleague Thad will constantly say, like, one of Peter's best qualities is he's such a good planner and he's thought about every possible thing. But one of his worst qualities, he's such a planner and he has like a predetermined plan and he doesn't always adjust in the moment to what's going on. He did tell us earlier in like a week or two ago that Kyrie's now emergency depth at fullback based on the fact that there are no healthy fullbacks. And I just think that that emergency depth needs to go away. I would rather put Remy, Remy back there. Remy's a really smart player. I feel like you could put him at either fullback spot, any of the midfield spots. He played wing a couple seasons ago for a couple games because they were so beat up. I kind of wondered when the lineup came out. thought Tommy would be on the wing, but then I was like, it might be Remy. They've put him up there before and he's like a smart enough player that he can do what you ask him to do. I would much rather see him at fullback. Uh, I thought Roger played decently at left back and then he, he almost had the had the game winning or game tying goal, I should say. I uh, so, know. so let's talk about that Roger play. So what ends up happening in the stadium, we have no idea what's going on. We just see that Espinoza has scored. We're losing our minds. So this is probably why I lost my voice. I was like, like yelling, like, let's effing go. Like I was like losing my mind in the stands. I was like, they're going to go get another goal. They're going to win this game. Like I'm going crazy. And then like, it was taking a while. And I was like, what's happening right now? Are they reviewing this? Was somebody offside? I was like, there's no way anybody was offside because the ball came back and around. And then we went up and he chipped the ball back, you know, like Nemanja Radoya, the defensive midfielder was all the way at the end line, making this cross back to Espinosa who flicks it into the net with his head. And then it turns out 21 seconds before said goal, Kyrie fouled Aaron Long. Then they showed that replay after they or or right before they took the goal away in the stadium. And I'm looking at it going, is it a foul? He kicks the ball. But then I went back and I've watched it a bunch of times since then. And Aaron Long gets the ball first. Kyrie kind of skims off the top of the ball and then goes right into Aaron Long's leg. So I, I do think it's a foul. I do think technically that is 
is correct. But my problem is, when does the attacking phase of play start? Because that's it was 21 seconds between when Kyrie touches that ball and it goes all the way around, goes through, I don't know, Kyrie had the ball, he passed it to Polito, who passed it to somebody that missed and took a deflection, goes back to Rodoya, Rodoya makes the cross, goes to Espinosa, 21 seconds. They pass back and forth, I think, little ping and give and go in there, like lots of stuff happening. Is that all still attacking? They, yes, it was all way up the field. It was all probably in the attacking third of the field. But if they just pass it around for two, three minutes, can they take it away for the goal? And like what 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 the internet seemed to be saying was yes, but that's crazy, right? That seems insane. That's crazy because what if it was a foul, why didn't they blow the whistle right then and then and stop the play altogether? Well, because they like, missed it is the problem. And the, the video yeah, assistant but, referee found it. I, I don't agree with that. Because if LAFC had got the ball and they had taken it downfield, it's not like they were going to go back and call it. I mean, well, cause I, then, I just then there's like, no advantage from having committed the foul by sporting. So they're saying sporting gained guess, an advantage by fouling LA and then LA never gets the ball again. So it never broke well, possession. Well, that's on the, LA, the other LAFC players for not getting the ball. I, in the moment when I saw it, I was like, okay, I guess I could see that was a foul. But then right before we started recording, I rewatched the highlights and I disagree with you. It looked like a foul because base, I mean, it didn't look like Kyrie committed a foul because the LAFC guy is pushing him and Kyrie's just kind of pushing that guy away because that guy's like over him kind of. I, I do agree. Both the, what would have been the left back at this point and Aaron Long are both kind of pushing on Kyrie, but it's like not yeah. too heavy of contact and he he kicks right through Aaron Long's leg. So, you know, agree to disagree. I think some people would take your side that it's not a foul. I My issue is the inconsistency. Would. A lot of people would. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I agree with the inconsistency. And that's kind of been my frustration this season is that that would get called, but there's going to be something worse that could happen and it wouldn't get called. And it's like they need to have – I, I don't know what the solution is, but the inconsistencies are affecting games, not just sporting Kansas City, but a lot of games. Things weren't getting called like in when we played St. Louis, for example. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought up St. Louis, Sheena. I did oh, some was research. That on the rundown? I did I some research read. here. Um that was my exact thought. Cause do you remember when we were watching the St. Louis game? I was like, don't worry. They're going to take this goal away. They fouled them in the attacking phase of play to get the ball. So I went back and looked at the first two goals for St. Louis. Cause those are the ones that really kind of put the thing in a downward spiral, right? The rest, yeah. they were just pushing so hard to score against St. Louis that they gave up some, some goals they probably shouldn't have gave up and probably wouldn't have given up had they not been trying so hard to, to get equal again, you know, or pull a goal back. So the first goal, uh, Remy Voltaire has the ball in the midfield. And then the St. Louis player comes in and he tries to go shoulder to shoulder with him, but he gets him in kind of on the back on like the back of a hip and the buttocks kind of area, knocks him down, takes the ball. Five seconds later, they call a penalty kick on the Manya Redoya because it's like pass, pass, PK. Five seconds, not called. Then the second St. Louis goal, that's the one where Gotti Kinda has the ball in the midfield. The player like scissor tackles him from behind. Now, I watched it again and he does get the ball, but he goes through the back of his legs in the process. Like he gets the ball and then his trailing leg clips Gotti. They call that all day. They call yellow cards on that stuff all day. Seven seconds later, St. Louis scores. So if those aren't attacking phase of play fouls and this other one, which like they literally passed it away from the goal twice. They had two passes backwards away from the goal before they end up scoring. It's just so soft. Like I, 
I, I hate it. I hate the inconsistency of it. And you just don't see the rule applied this way that often. So to have it happen and go back that far, it just stings. But in the end, I, I mostly blame Peter because if Kyrie is not out there, these things don't happen. And he re-signed him when we all thought he would definitely be gone after last season. And he put him in out of position when I think all of us would have said that's not the move to make. Kyrie is uh, only when they're up by two goals. That's our rule. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Or no Kyrie at all. I don't know. Even better. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, yeah. Oh, I'm hoping that no one that knows Kyrie listens to this and tells him Ooh. how mean we are to him. But we're not alone. I mean, he got it's booed not. when he was subbed into the game. Like People are not <laughs> excited to see him. He's, he's not performing. He's not earning his salary. That's for dang sure. He makes way too much money for what he's contributing on the field. If he was like making the league minimum, I'd be like, okay, then it's just on Peter. Like he's a depth guy. He shouldn't be. You're putting the wrong guy into the game. I don't feel like he is a depth guy in any position because I don't think he plays any position well. And I'm not trying to be mean. That's just like stating facts. Like I, I don't think he does any position extremely well. He doesn't. He's but, giving. But Gina, he scored a goal last sweat week. Two point No, he's, he's going to be out there forever <laughs> because of the one goal when they were already up. Okay. Yep, we're going to see him forever now. Hopefully, this sends him to the bench and a lesson is learned. And it's man, not, honestly, though. hopefully they buy him out. But it probably won't happen because he was already making excuses for him after the game. Yeah. It. It's just. I don't understand why we're making why Peter Vermees is making excuses for him. I don't understand why he makes so much money, why he has such a long contract, why I just have more questions about Kyrie than than answers or excitement about him. I don't know. Yeah. So let's talk the other controversial play of the game. Uh, in the I think it's the 53rd minute, Daniel Shallowy is going into the box. He has a sweet little give and go situation from Alan Polito. Great pass. And Ryan's Ryan Hollingshead is pulling Shallowy's arm back and he fights through the contact and gets off kind of a bad shot. Everybody's like, hey, how is this not a penalty? After the game, Peter was asking how this isn't a penalty, that all day it should be a penalty. In the stadium live, I was saying, hey, this is uh, this should be a penalty. Then they showed the replay from the reverse angle where Shallowy is grabbing on Hollingshead's jersey at the same time. And I turned to the guy I was with and said, oh, they're not going to they're not going to review that because he's foul. He's fouling him as well. So end of story. What do you think of the Shallowy play? Yeah, I did. It was unfortunate. I only saw it in the replay because I had a hard time getting into the app. And then I had my friends over and this we had an ordeal. Half, Sheena. You're thinking about I the know, first but- half. No, but in the second half, when that happened, I wasn't at the computer, at the TV. So I didn't see it except for in the replay. So I don't have very many thoughts about it because I didn't Do you think it was a penalty? I could see, yeah, because when I just rewatched it as a penalty, I mean, as a replay, I thought it was going to be a penalty because there was, I'd say the first 20 of the second half, I was kind of in and out of the room for some plays. So I had our, our kiddo giving me... The, the highlights while ah I, yes are you are a little and, youth soccer player breaking <laughs> things down for you yeah so i think she missed that so i had said uh, whenever i saw it live on the well i should say on the immediate replay where he's grabbing that mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a foul because they're both fouling each other i put that out on twitter and a lot of people are coming at me saying hey he's only grabbing hollingshead to keep his balance because he's pulling his arm back 
which is what's causing him to, you know, need to grab because he's off balance. Why would you grab a player that's behind you? And, you know, you do see it sometimes where players will kind of grab each other and like just to kind of keep space. So that's kind of what I was thinking. He was just using it to kind of keep Hollingshead at bay. And I don't know if that ends up ultimately being the right decision or not. But regardless, they didn't call it. The video assistant referee, if they looked at it, they didn't look very long because it was a very brief review before play restarted. Should I have a question for you do you know who was the video assistant referee no well i don't know what their name is either but they were <laughs> the same referee that was the video assistant referee for the last game of 2021 that's the game where roger espinoza goes to take a shot in the box against rsl and it hits an rsl players in the hand rsl it doesn't get called then they come all the way down the field now in the attacking phase of play and score a goal and they should have never even had the ball because it should have been a penalty kick on the other side uh, the same video assistant referee did not call for review of that play. And then later the league and pro came out and admitted it was the wrong call and it dropped sporting from first place to third place. It put RSL into the playoffs as the seventh seed and kicked the galaxy out of the playoffs. And when you know it, two games later, RSL eliminated Sporting KC from the playoffs and they shouldn't even have been in because of a blown call. So same referee, too afraid to go in there and make the call, but they weren't afraid to take it away from Sporting at the end. So I think that's the inconsistency, right? If if the Shelton play is a foul, then the Hollingshead play is a foul and Sporting should have had another penalty kick and that, that should have been a, a game winning goal they took away instead of a game tying goal that they took away at the end. It changes, it changes everything. Um, it I does, got a few comments yeah. on Twitter saying, oh, this at play for 90 guy, he just complains about the refs every week. And I go, mm-hmm. if they would just do a good job, I wouldn't have to complain about it. There's plenty of weeks that have gone by where I've had nothing to complain about because they haven't blown the game. I mean, I might complain here. They won't act like I never complain. But I get that they're human. They're imperfect. They're one person in the middle of this massive pitch. But for them to mess up, the video assistant to mess up, the assistant referees not to chime in on some of these plays, I don't know. It's the inconsistency that drives me nuts. If you just consistently got them all wrong or cut them all, you know, like you did it to both teams, it just feels, sometimes it feels out of balance. Sportings have been very lucky the last few weeks and that luck ran out against LA. Okay. All right. So they got to talk to the referee after the game too. I'm not sure if it's even worth uh, mentioning, but they said that uh, Shelton kicked uh, Aaron Long which is why that was a foul. They said that the shallowy play, the quote, level of contact was deemed not sufficient to award a penalty. And then that they did say that the 21 seconds that passed from the Shelton quote foul to the the goal being scored by Espinosa was all still the quote attacking phase of play. So that was their comments on anything. I don't even know why our pool reporters even bother asking the questions of the referees. They never have anything to say. So it's brief little answers that, of course, support that they're right because they're always right. Yeah, must be nice. We'll see if they get suspended next week. Probably not. I think in the end, they mostly got this stuff right. Maybe the shallowy one, maybe not. But I think if this is the attacking phase of play... Because it was applied wrong in the St. Louis game doesn't mean they should apply it wrong in this game. And it's just unfortunate that sporting is on the wrong end of both of those calls, right? Like they, they get it right when it doesn't help sporting and they get it wrong when it doesn't help sporting. So it's a bummer. Yeah. Overall, my thoughts, it's a bad loss. And a lot of it's on Peter for the decisions he made to put Shelton out there. I think, I mean, it's on Shelton, but it's on Peter for putting Shelton in the position to screw things up. I agree with that. I, I think this hurts even more because we had a good opportunity to win considering how young the LAFC team was out there. Like there's no reason we shouldn't have won that game or at a minimum drawn it because LAFC regardless is still a good team. So the fact that we gave up all three points 
it's just disappointing. And I'm pretty sure we're no longer in a playoff spot. Yeah, I believe that's accurate. And then yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the youth thing because LA played a very youthful lineup, which we kind of glossed over earlier. And I think sporting can learn a lesson from this. Sporting will put the same guys out and run them into the ground. Like we mentioned, they're playing two more times this week on Wednesday and then again on Saturday. If they play the same starters every game, you'll remember the last time they had this triple setup uh, was the St. Louis game on the weekend. And they were exhausted by the time they got to the St. Louis game and they got run over. So I kind of feel like Chicago's not a good team. You got to kind of plan for that. And the ga- uh, I'm sorry, not the Galaxy. Um, LAFC did a good job of that because they they played young guys, but then they had Carlos Vela and Ryan Hollingshead and these other veterans on the bench to be able to bring them in and close out the game. And Vela made important plays and he made things happen. And these guys were involved in the game winning situations. Uh, to answer your question, Sporting are now one point below the play-in playoff line yeah. behind the Portland Timbers. All that right, was we wait. Gotta, I had I had one oh. more thing I wanted to say. Well, there was some hair comments I wanted to make on LAFC. Oh my so, gosh! Okay, well there, here know. we go. Here we go. Take your shot, just to prep you guys. You're going to take two shots because I have two hair comments. So the first one, Ilya. My gosh, his hair is so bad. Like I just adore him as a person, but his hair—he it looks dirty, doesn't it? It it does. Was like, it about that long hair that just looks like it? Like Zussi's <sighs> hair always looks good when it's long, but not all these other guys. Yeah, maybe it's because Zussi puts it in a man bun, so we can't tell as much but even when his hair is down Zussi has like luscious locks and Ilya and maybe part of it is he's sweaty I don't know but I just can't get behind his long hair it's it's not working for him I'm sorry Ilya and the other guy which I wrote his name down on my phone when I was watching the replay but I should have just texted it to you because it got deleted. The guy who fouled Gotti Kinda, what's his name? I don't know how to say his is last it name. Maldonado? Yeah, his hair's fun. It's like, maybe it could be a mohawk if you wanted, but it's not. But I liked his hair. And I like the fact that we got a PK because of his playing. So That was nice of him to commit that foul. And then the yeah. ref missed it live too. It seems so obvious. It was right on our end of the field. So we're like, how is this not a penalty? What is happening right now? All right, we have one question that ties into this game and all my referee complaining that I think is worth asking right now from David Stanley on Twitter at AnimalADDVM. He says, quote, do you think MLS should move towards a central replay center for VAR to eliminate the inconsistencies that seem to be occurring? I know that some other sports leagues here in America do that for their replay system, and I like that idea. You get a lot more people in there, and they're all kind of checking things, and you have other opinions versus like, this all just comes down to the video assistant referee and their assistant that they have inside the box with them or the booth, whatever. And they're making the calls versus if you had a more consistent group of people. The only thing that could maybe make this hard is that all the MLS games are happening at the same time. They're all overlapping each other so much. But the NFL does that. They play their first chunk of games in the morning and their second chunk of games in the evening. And they seem to handle it from a central. I think maybe hockey does central. I'm not 100% sure. I don't watch a lot of hockey. But I know a lot of other leagues do this. And I like that idea. Anything to cut down on the inconsistency? Because that's my my biggest complaint is they're consistently inconsistent. I 100% agree with that. It's what makes me get annoyed with sports and make me not want to watch is when it's so... That was kind of my issue with... Football is that a lot of the times the refs weren't 
consistently calling the right plays. And I feel like in the last like two or three seasons with uh, sporting, I've noticed the the bad calls a little bit more, especially this season. I think the more I get into it the, and the more I understand ga- the game, like I, I get more frustrated with the way they're calling the ball or calling, you know, making calls. So I, I wouldn't be against that idea. Yep. I like that too. So hopefully maybe something like that will come about in the future. Something has to change. MLS and uh, particularly pro referees, I don't think they're doing a good enough job. I'd love some more transparency in terms of the calls they screw up. Maybe own the calls you screw up a little bit more Mm -hmm. and tell us. Maybe if you don't tell us who's being punished, let us know about the system that they have in place for referees when they're, if they're punished or if they're suspended and it's a call game. So they get demoted to like a fourth assistant role or something like that. Because it, it, it has to have an effect. Like if you're not doing a good job, you should, you know, like coaches get fired, players get cut, stuff like that. The referees should have um, some sort of repercussions too. Now, I, I, I'm not trying to hate on referees. It's an incredibly difficult job. I just, I just want consistency. I just want consistency. It would be really hard, like to, because not only are you having to watch every single player, but you're also having to run, you know, especially if you're that main ref, you're running all through the game with the players. Like, I don't envy them. And I, I mean, and I was going to bring up when we talk about the US game against Mexico, like, it, would be tough to be a ref, especially in a very, uh, when teams have like a rivalry, like USA and Mexico, for example, like that's a tough spot to be a ref in this game. Not so much because there was no, there's not, I don't think a rivalry between LAFC and sporting, but yeah, I, I don't envy them. Honestly, maybe a rivalry will form. These teams play each other very close every time. This came down yeah. to the last second. So even though they're not a regional like, geographic rivalry situation, we've gone to their stadium and beat them several times, which I think says something. That's a hard place to play, and a lot of teams struggle there. But Sporting, I believe, have the best record of any road team at the BMO field. So, all right, let's take a break, and we'll be back with more For the Glory KC. All right, and we are back. So we're going to talk U.S. soccer. She's going to give a little tease before the break there about <laughs> the uh, refereeing in that game. Uh, before we get to the game itself where the U.S. defeated Mexico, let's talk about what happened in the middle of that game while the U.S. is over there pounding their regional or their uh, geographical rivals in Mexico. Greg Berhalter was rumored to be announced as the new coach, and since the game has ended, U.S. soccer has announced that Greg Berhalter who you will recall was the coach for the last World Cup cycle, is now the coach again. So there was two interim <laughs> coaches in between. He is back. They hired a new, what is this title, sporting director of U.S. soccer, and then that guy still picked the same guy from before. I think a lot of this goes to the players were really backing Greg. You had star players saying that they thought he did a good job and they thought he should be the coach. And for me, I'm I'm okay with it. I didn't dislike Burhalter. I think a lot of people are saying that you cannot have the same coach two World Cup cycles in a row. There's no history of it working, but there's no history of a lot of things working because only one team wins the World Cup every year and the U.S. has never even been really close to winning the World Cup. So I think he's building something. He's got a group of young players. My only problem with the hire is they lost six months in the middle of the cycle where he could have been coaching and developing and he wasn't doing anything because of all the controversy and nonsense that's going on around Burhalter. What were your thoughts about Greg coming back? I didn't really know who any other people they were interviewing, who they were, and like if there had been a better option. 
But I, I agree with you in the sense that they wasted time and I'm sure money and resources to find another coach. And the fact they ended up with the same coach is confusing and annoying. And it, I was seeing on Twitter, people were saying, well, maybe they had to do it because of the Reyna situation, Gio Reyna and his parents. And I think an outside was, was an outside company involved. Yeah, there was up? some sort of like investigation into the allegations and whatnot. And I think you're right that that's probably what had an impact on it. And my personal theory is that they would have just re-signed him immediately had all that rain and nonsense not came out, which led them into investigating, you know, the incident with his his now wife from 30 years ago. And I, I saw a lot of people just saying they're already Burhalter out. Like basically, you know, I saw a really good tweet about this from Pablo Maurer from the athletic, basically saying that us MNT soccer, Twitter is, or us soccer, Twitter in general, but ma- mainly around the men. It's just an awful toxic place. And the behavior on Twitter is really awful. And I can really attest to that because I accidentally went kind of pseudo viral during the you US Mexico Don't game. It. You had your biggest tweet of your tweeting history yeah, on Thursday night. And it's not even something like I I wanted to have attention or anything from because it was about the nonsense that happened during the game. So we'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll tell you what the tweet was and and how it caused so much of a problem. But any other Burhalter thoughts before we switch to talking about the game itself, Sheena? You know, the only other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on with him being hired is I was seeing on Twitter that the people who seemed to be against him coming back, they were against the hire because he seems to use the same lineup, the same I would say kind of like Peter Vermees, like using some players who are maybe past their prime and calling them up and not utilizing the young players. And I think on Thursday night, you know, Gio Reyna played and he played pretty good. And people were saying, is he still going to have those opportunities with Berhalter coming back like as Gio Reyna? And there was somebody else that and I don't remember who the player was that came into the game and played fantastic. And that's not somebody Burhalter typically puts in a lineup. So do you feel that he does use like older players more or players that maybe should like are making the the lineup when maybe they aren't playing as good as somebody else? I think there could be a little bit of an argument for that because people were kind of mad about Tim Ream getting his center yeah. back job back during the World Cup, but he actually played really well during the World Cup. He is older, and I think the, like Chris Richards was the guy that played center back in this game, along with Miles Robinson, who had been hurt leading yeah, to the World Cup, so he had missed who it. it was. So it's like those two had both been hurt. That's why they weren't there and weren't on that roster and weren't participating in the World Cup. So I don't think if they were out playing Ream and Walker Zimmerman that they wouldn't see the field. If they're playing better, I think he'll play the best people. Most of the people that were out there were the same players that he started, cultivated, found, developed into starting players. And man, did they look good against Mexico. So I think there's only a little bit of anything to that argument. Okay. Yeah. And I I didn't see a ton of it, but I did see that. And I was like, that's an interesting point. And I would say if I'm casual about sporting Kansas City, I'm even like more casual about the men and women's national team. So I'm trying. That's why you're planning a vacation to go watch the Women's World Cup in New Zealand. (laughs) Well, I like traveling. Super casual, super cash. I like traveling and you suggest a New Zealand because of the Women's World Cup and how do you say no to New Zealand? Yep, absolutely. It's a once in a lifetime chance <laughs> for us, I'm sure. 
All right, let's talk about the Mexico game itself. So the United States, they played Mexico. This is the Nations League. This is kind of a a new-ish made-up tournament from a few years ago. Uh, United States won the first version of it for CONCACAF, uh, but they beat Mexico 3-0, and honestly, it was the most resounding victory over Mexico that I can ever remember. But sadly, all the good soccer is overshadowed by all the nonsense that went on during the game. So a few things really, really stood out. There was what we just kind of refer to as the chant. I would recommend you go look it up. It's uh, starts with a P and Mexican fans will say it on a goal kick whenever the goalie is kicking it. And it's basically been widely condemned by FIFA, by CONCACAF, by the Mexican Federation themselves have asked their fans to stop doing it. And I did talk to some Spanish speaking people that did say, hey, you know, it does mean different things for different people. Like some some people, it just means bitch, excuse my language here. And I have heard that as that slang before. But then for others uh, in other cultures, apparently it means gay, but with the F word for gay. So pretty vile word choice. Others still said it means like a gay prostitute. Uh, Whatever it means, it's been for years. They've been trying to get rid of it. There's a three-step system to get it out of the game. One, the first time that it's chanted, the referee is supposed to stop the match. And like they don't resume play. They warn the fans. Second time, they're supposed to go to the locker room. And then the third time, they abandon the game. So it was happening the entire game. But it was getting louder as the game went on because they were struggling. They were playing really poorly. So their fans are getting frustrated, of course. And as Sheena mentioned, my, my viral moment here. So I tweeted, and I did not mean to light the internet on fire, but I saw a little taste of the nastiness of uh, soccer Twitter. It's I said, after 89 minutes of hobophobic chants from the Mexican fans, the ref finally stopped the game. Disgusting displays by the fans with the chant, throwing trash on the field, and their players playing dirty. Oh, we'll get to those other two things in a second. But I had 147,000 views and like 1,000 plus likes and retweets. Like my tweets get like 300 views, 500 views. Good ones maybe get like six, 7,000 views. And I was like, 147,000. And it's just awful. All the comments are so bad. Like I just stopped reading them because people were being so awful to each other. And it made me kind of depressed that like my one tweet gave them a place to be nasty to each other, but they're probably going to be nasty to each other under somebody else's tweet if, if mine wasn't there. So I guess, you know, whatever it is, what it is, but it was kind of, kind of wild. And then I had another one where I just gave post game thoughts and it got like 75,000 views. I was like, Oh my gosh, am I like a U.S. soccer personality? Y'all? I don't even really know anything, <laughs> but, uh, what 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 the other stuff was so the chant awful i think we can all pretty much agree to condemn that behavior the game ends up actually getting abandoned with like five minutes to go in stoppage time because the ref just called it and it was out of hand it was over anyways they probably should never gave 12 minutes of stoppage time despite all the other nonsense that happened that nonsense being uh two big incidents uh, Weston McKinney came over to defend one of his teammates, uh, a Mexican player, and I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, committed a foul from behind on a U.S. player, like kicked him right in the leg, like it was a dirty play, immediately shown a red card correctly. But McKinney comes over to kind of confront him, defending your teammates, you know, pretty common practice. But then he gets surrounded, and he's probably got like five to seven players around him. They're grabbing on him. They physically ripped his jersey, tore it off of him. But then McKinney ends up getting a red card because in all the hustle, he has his hands on a guy's neck. It looks like he's kind of just pushing him away to me. It doesn't look like a a choking motion, but they say like 
violent hands to the face or to the neck is supposed to be an ejection. So all I ever saw was a, a, a freeze frame of it, though. I never saw it in any motion to see if he like really did anything more than just like push and his hand slid up to the neck or if he went straight to the neck. But that that got up people upset, of course, right? And McKinney's now missing the game against Canada tonight. And then the second incident was Serginho Dest is going down the sideline and a Mexican player like basically kicks him in like gut, like in the midsection. And they called the foul. And when I went back and watched it again, I was thrown away because I thought he reacted to the initial kicking, but he actually reacts to a player coming along and like shouldering him in the back and trying to take the ball from him to like take a free kick or a throw from the Mexican side. But they clearly committed the foul. Like, why would you be taking the ball away from Dest? So Dest pushes him. Uh, the guy, and then another guy comes in and like smacks Dest right in the head, and then Dest hits him back in the face. So then those two both get red cards correctly. That was. I get you're upset when someone hits you in the face, like, but you have to control your emotions in a soccer match. The the go-to move is like, push them in the chest. Worst case, you're going to get like a yellow card for your reaction. But if you go to the face, you got to know you're going to get, get thrown out of the game. It's going to leave the U.S. at a disadvantage. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, they'll have probably already played the final against Canada, but Canada had to be loving the nonsense they were seeing. So I set that up. I gave a lot of talk. I know, Sheena, you only watched like the very end of the game where all the nonsense was happening. What were your thoughts? I did only watch like the last 25 minutes of the game because I wasn't home. So when I got home, I sat down there and finished the game with you. But yeah, I kind of came in at a very scandalous time because I think right around the time I really was like paying attention to the game is when the brawl, I would call it the brawl, happened. And for somebody who loves drama, I loved it. Like, I mean, I didn't love that our, our players got red cards and... And it was crazy to me that it was nine versus nine that like it was so intense that both nobody was really at a disadvantage because they both were getting yellows and reds. Yeah, you don't and, see nine v nine soccer very much. Well, yeah. actually, we see it all the time in club soccer because our, our child is not up to full 11 v 11. But in well, professional soccer, it's not not commonplace yeah. to have four red cards in one game. Yeah, but for me. And I don't know about how you feel about this because you did only see like the last 25 minutes. Like you said, I think it goes back to the ref not being in control of the game there was a lot of violent yeah. play throughout the game he wasn't controlling it he he wasn't controlling the crowd earlier for the chanting and he wasn't they, there was times they threw trash on the field multiple times when the mexican team would give up a goal pulisic scored twice and uh, ricardo pepe got the last goal for the u.s and they're throwing trash on the field like pretty much every time well I don't think the first goal, but then the subsequent stuff later on and then the red cards and stuff. He'd had no control. Therefore, the game got more violent. And to your point, back when we were still talking sporting, you have to, it's a rivalry game. You need to set yeah. standards. And the first time there's a hard challenge, you need to give a yellow and say, this is how I'm going to handle this game and don't do it again or you'll be out of here sort of situation. I think the ref led to a lot of this stuff because he he didn't manage the game well. From what I saw too, it didn't look like he was managing the game well because like I said, I only saw the last like quarter of the game and that was when the chanting was starting. I don't know if lasers are a no-no, but there it was is a no-no. A no. lot of lasers <laughs> on the on the referee and on the, the goalkeeper when he was trying to take goal kicks. Yeah, yep. and I couldn't believe that wasn't getting called. Or It's like if they have these protocols to stop the game with the chance, like at that point you would somehow, if you're the ref, get the message across that like the lasers need to stop as well. And, and so I found the lasers distracting. So I can't even imagine how much worse it was for the players who are on the field having to deal with the lasers is really inconsiderate. And 
then you know the chanting had begun earlier in the game and nothing was done so then when he finally i i think it was like in stoppage time the for, or it was like in the 80 something minute the first time he stopped the game 89th minute yeah yeah and he only stopped it for like maybe a minute and a half it wasn't anything and then he's and it's like i don't know yeah it was a mismanagement by the ref for not having control Right. And, and in the Mexican players, if you'll remember too, when Weston McKinney's getting his jersey ripped off of him and he ultimately gets a red card, like four or five of the guys that are surrounding him and grabbing him and pulling at him are off the bench. They shouldn't even be on the field. It should be an automatic yellow to every single guy that came off the bench and got involved in this nonsense. Just utter lack of control. There's people who listen to this going, God, Chad hates referees. I really, I got the sportsmanship award when I would coach my daughter's team for always being very respectful to the referees. I'm, I'm not a referee hater, but like, there's there's instances where they do a bad job and I'm I'm not going to pull away from pointing it out. And that's fair and you shouldn't, but yeah, I mean, so I there was a lot of drama in the game which I I appreciated and not even drama with like the score but just the fighting, the the neck grabbing. I actually didn't see when his shirt got ripped, McKinnon's shirt got ripped. I wasn't home for that yet. So I kind of missed out cuz that seemed pretty dramatic. I saw the replay and he like kisses what is it that he kissed his, his crest, shield yeah on his, his crest on, okay yeah. yeah so that was kind of fun but yeah it's crazy despite the he got a red i get you can't put your hands on somebody's neck but like also his shirt is ripped off that guy got a red too whoever ripped his shirt right so somebody got a no no actually no they had already given a red to the player that committed the foul that led to the shoving so all the other people that ripped his jersey off that are doing all the other stuff that's no crazy. cards for any of those people yeah and i don't know if yeah. they've gone back i haven't seen like a statement released i was looking for it before we did the pod to see if they've come out and said anything and i couldn't find anything about additional punishments or like the next nation's league or gold cup or whatever that these players play in that they'll be punished and and have some sort of you know yellow cards don't accumulate over multiple competitions like mexico's eliminated so it won't add up to anything but if you get a red theoretically it would make you miss the next nation's league game but it still affects us because we're still in it so we well, yeah, are the hurts, ones that are the being punished worse. yeah 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 so we're being punished and there's no ramifications for mexico because yeah, they were down two players, but so were we. So it wasn't really an advantage to us. So Right. And the next a- Nations League game will be an early competition against probably lower level teams too, because you'll be trying to qualify for this this final. We, we were the four teams that made the final between Mexico, the U.S., Canada, and I think maybe it was Panama was the fourth team. I can't remember. They got eliminated by Canada. So Yeah. I, the one thing I had said on Twitter the next day, because I wasn't tweeting because I got home. I just watched the game. I was in the moment. But I think it would be really hard to put yourself in the U.S. team's shoes. And it's like you see your your players jerseys are getting ripped off didn't christian pulsic like didn't he wasn't he bleeding or somebody was bleeding on the field i remember somebody bleeding from taking a shot to the head oh that you know honestly that's when people said well if they'd have just thrown that guy out because oriel and tuna for mexico who did not get thrown out of the game he committed a pretty hard foul he it was like a shoulder to somebody's face and i'm forgetting whose face it was. I don't I think it was, it was Pulisic. But they said if they'd have just given a second yellow there, he'd have set the tone for, hey, we cannot be yeah. committing fouls that are this violent because he came in. He's ne- I can't. Gosh, I wish I could remember who it was that he hit. But he's making no effort to play the ball. He's just watching the player the whole time. And he's never getting to the ball. He arrives late and he goes shoulder right into his face. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember who it was. That's bad. Partial information here. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> 
I, I was it wasn't Gio Reyna. Which can we talk about Gio Reyna's hair? Yeah, I mean, take a shot, everybody. Another hair one. You're going to be wasted before this pod's over. <laughs> that was very, very blonde hair. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. I, I made a joke on Twitter that maybe he's trying to blend in so Greg Burkhalter or whatever his name is, Burhalter wouldn't recognize him and they could have a fresh start. I, if you want to blend in, I feel like uh, electric <laughs> blonde hair is probably not the way to go. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not, but... Uh, Do you remember... This will be a good closing thing. You remember how Cordy Ford told that really nice story about how he would always dye his hair blonde so his mom could see him out on the field playing to bring it back I to mean, sporting. It feels like something Gio Reyna would do. Clearly he has some really intense parents and they want to be able to see him on the field. They're probably just happy he was on the field because they know his days might be limited. Yeah, um, I think he, to, to bring it back to Greg and him, I think they're going to work out their troubles. Gio's a very good player. He played really well versus Mexico. I mean, most of the team played really good until the, the nonsense got out of control and there's just no way he's not part of the team. Hopefully he's matured from it. Hopefully Greg Greg doesn't hold his parents' conduct against him because what control do you have over your parents? What our parents say stuff in life that I, I, I'm sure you all can relate to this, all you listeners out there, that your parents or your relatives or your loved ones say things that you're like, oh my gosh, you're embarrassing me right now. This is insane. What are you doing? And you know, oh, yeah. all points of our lives, right? So whether we're you young, whether we're old. Fest, uh, singing as loud as you could to the Ataris and dancing <laughs> around and totally embarrassing me. It's true. Sheena was embarrassed by my behavior. I wasn't yeah. even drinking, so it wasn't even like it was that. I was just into Hey, we're at a concert. You're supposed to have a good time. I was uh, I was rocking out. Uh, it's not my fault that the my favorite band to see was the opening band, and they were done after 30 minutes. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll watch the rest of these acts. I have a question for you, Chad. Do you think the Gio Reyna got a heads up that Burhalter was going to be the coach again, or do you think he found out at the same time as the rest of the team found out sometime after the game had ended? From the reporting I saw, he did not know. It didn't seem like really anybody knew because the, the reporters broke it during the game and yeah, right. they announced it, you know, later. Uh, Paul Tenorio, our boy over at the Athletic, Paul's great writer, if you all haven't ever followed him before, uh, he was one of the guys that had the the breaking news there. And then they actually had him on the post game show and he, he did good at uh, talking on the air. Do you remember Kate Abdo was like, Paul, do you, have you ever done TV before? And he's like very infrequently, but he did really well. Paul's a, he's a good writer. He's well-spoken and he's, he's good at getting that inside information. But yeah, I think kind of no one knew they, they got the leaks. And That's got crazy. That info out. Yeah. Not, not well handled by us soccer, but what is really, they they've had a, they've had a pretty bad track record for these uh, last few months and well years, really. I will say the post game, cause we watched some of it, or I think we watched a good chunk of it. Honestly, it was kind of unfortunate to me that that news about Greg Berhalter becoming the coach or, you know, the speculation was what they talked more about than the game itself. So it's 100%. like I personally could care less about the coach. I think it was a big waste of time, but it's like there was so much drama in that game. And I was saying on Twitter, like if there was ever a time for somebody who doesn't get into soccer to see what soccer is all about, like if you like drama and you like fights, because I feel like in American sports that you think hockey and football, there's fights that happen or it's a very physical game. That was a very physical game and it's like you could have maybe capitalized on that more to bring the game to a, more people and 
instead you talk about this coaching thing that nobody outside of probably hardcore soccer fans cares about. Yep. I think that's probably a pretty fair assessment, but yep. I think a lot of stuff overshadowed what was to wrap it up a really excellent performance by the U S men's national team to, to beat the tar out of their rivals. Is it now between them and Canada to see who the best team in CONCACAF is on a regular basis? Because Canada's played really well in recent years and they're young. They have a lot of young talent. The U.S. is young and have a lot of young talent. Mexico's going through a phase where they're firing coaches and whatnot. And they got they got some fixing to do, but the U.S. are on, on a good path. All right, let's. Uh, we have a c- couple more things to talk about before we get y'all out of here. Got to talk about the Kansas City Current. So they played twice this week. Their first game was a Challenge Cup game in the middle of the week here in KC. They defeated the Chicago Red Stars four to nothing. Where have all these goals been? Uh, they absolutely went off. They actually scored all four goals in a 15 minute time span, the fastest ever sequence. And instead of just talking you through all the all the fun stuff that happened, I thought I'd tie it back to what we've been talking about with the current for the last few weeks. What's kind of been wrong with the current? And I had picked on Dabinia, which is I feel like. It's kind of blasphemy, right? Like, Tabinia is one of the best soccer players in the world, and people really love her. But there's no doubt about it. She was missing passes. She was making these pretty little plays, and then too many of them weren't coming off. Well, they changed that on Wednesday. They went to a back four. They changed formations which I think is part of their problem. They got players into better positions to receive pass, open up passing lanes. Part of that was possible because they had Elizabeth Ball back. She started. She only went for one half. And then also Morgan Gautreau returned and played in the midfield to cover for Lola Bonta, who's who's still out and is missing the game today as well. And then their passing accuracy went through the roof. It was north of 80%. When they had games where they were like barely above 60% passing, like, that is bad passing. That's like, I mean, you, you all can do that math, right? You're getting like not even two out of three passes completed. That's bad. That's real bad. So that cleaned it up a lot for me. And that just, that opened up the floodgates to Binya. She probably listened to this and got motivated. She scored twice. She's like, in your face, Chad. What are you talking about? Uh, Di Bernardo had a heck of a goal herself. And CeCe Kaiser had a late goal off a nice assist from Mimi Larson. Sheena, what were your thoughts on the Challenge Cup game? Chad, I don't know if you remember, but I didn't watch the game. So oh, that's right. I went there without you and you okay, yeah, yes. My and apologies. You're like you're like, you probably don't need to watch the game. They're probably gonna lose. So I I might that I might have said that. I mean they will have lost six or seven or something like that going in there. Yeah, I don't think it was so, unreasonable to think that they were gonna keep losing. There was a part of me that was like, I should just still watch the game and support, but I opted to do whatever I decided to do instead, which I don't even remember anymore what it was. Who can remember? All right. Well, that feels like a good transition. Let's talk about the other KC current game. As for that second game, through the magic of time travel, the current have now played and lost to the Washington Spirit. And I'm flying solo here, no Sheena. So if that bums you out, I guess you can turn off the podcast right now. But I'm going to cover the current and the US MNT game from Sunday evening. So the KC current got off to an awesome start. 2 nothing lead early over the Washington Spirit. Michelle Cooper scored her first ever NWSL goal. 22 seconds by my count. They were saying 23 on the broadcast, but it hit the back of the net. 22 seconds into the game. Fastest game in NW... I'm sorry, fastest goal in NWSL history. History. Dabinia got a penalty kick that later was converted. They're up to nothing. Things were looking good. Then they gave up a bit of a soft goal uh, before the half. They had a header from Kate Del Favo where she's trying to clear it and she clears it into the middle of the field instead of out towards the sideline or even out of bounds for all I care. 
And Ashley Sanchez just takes a good touch. No one steps to her quick enough, gets the shot off, and it's deflected and trickles into the net. Goes right past. Well, trickles is not a right word. It was going with pace. It shot right past Miller. Then late in the game, nobody is marking uh, their center back, like the tallest player on the field. I don't know how you don't mark her. And she gets the equalizer in the 82nd minute. And then... Croy Soto had subbed on for Elizabeth Ball, who started again. And Gabby Robinson, they'll both keep on the game-winning goal scorer in the 87th minute. So it went from being almost a win, 2-1 in the 81st, to 3-2 loss by the 87th minute. Pretty brutal. Uh, so I want to kind of switch gears. There's only 10 games to go in the season. And the question I have is, is it time to blow things up for the current? They built what looked to be a super team. With all these off-season acquisitions, they forgot to sign any defenders, which may be the the main issue here, and they cannot get going. I mean, I guess they did send Hannah Glass. She has yet to appear. She's been out all season. Desi Scott has been out all season. Sam Mewis out all season. You've got Mallory Weber came back for a few minutes and is out all season. They're so banged up. They're just getting Hamilton back, just getting Ball back. Morgan Cottrell made her debut this week. So it could be they sign injury-prone players, players that were already injured. I'm not sure what the case is, but the fact that Matt Potter got fired after a 0-3 and start and now Caroline Werbloom, sorry, I got a quick clarification on how to say her name. She's gotten a much worse record than Potter, and I don't know. To me, you give her a few more games, but you don't go till the end of the season. If it's it's gone and it's turned sour, I think they both go. Your general manager who built this team, your interim coach, which I kind of feel bad for her. She gets her hand forced into this role, but it's not working out. And this is something I think she and I need to discuss a little more as we move through the season. But without a near perfect run down the stretch, only nine points out of the playoffs with only 10 games to go. That requires a lot of teams to falter ahead of you. And this is not MLS. Every team doesn't make the playoffs. It's a much tighter line to get in, and they are in deep, deep trouble, right? So let's go to something a little more, I don't know, juicy, KC Current related. As the game ended, there's a, a reporter, Justin Hornecker. Uh, he covers St. Louis City, but he also covers the current. And he's doing, he's like tweeting out tweets from the post-game presser. He's talking about what Caroline was saying. And then he sneaks into the tweet, kind of almost making it sound like she was saying, quote, multiple players have asked for trade. But then he clarifies and says, oh, no, this is not from her. And then through some additional digging, it turns out this is information from an agent. But he put it inside of a tweet that kind of made it look like the coach said it. So according to at least one agent, multiple players have asked for trades. And it's his follow-up says that they've asked to be moved in the window to find playing time elsewhere, especially as players continue to return from the injury list. Reading between the lines, this is Justin's words, I would assume at this point, just too many pieces to fit, especially when you aren't winning. This, I'm not sure who these players would be, but I'm wondering if it's folks like, I don't know, Chardonnay Curran, Jenna Weinbrenner, Addison Merritt, people that are now going to be way, way down the depth chart with all these other players coming back. Maybe they want to be traded. It could be fringe starters that are not going to be consistent starters, I'm not sure I would be everything I'm saying would just be flat guesses. So it'll be interesting to see if there's going to be moves made in the window. Are they going to add more players? The quote sounds like Airbloom or Wearbloom is saying 
that they want to acquire more depth when the window opens, but that would presumably mean they got to clear some spots to do that. So maybe the trade requests are causing them to make moves. They obviously are struggling in defense. So adding defenders and maybe getting rid of some of this like midfield depth might make some sense because they are just overly stocked in the midfield as much as it would be tough to see players like that go. We get attached to all of them, but you know, you, you got to try to win. And at this point, you might be building for next year and kind of laying the foundation for the 2024 season when you open your new stadium, the first ever purpose-built women's sports facility in the world. So hopefully something will happen. This will be something we'll have to talk more about as the season progresses, but I've already kept you all here too long. Last thing before we get to the digital crawl, the U.S. men's national team defeated Canada 2 to nothing in the CONCACAF Nations League final. They are now back-to-back champions. There's only ever been two champions, and it's the U.S. both times. They've won both versions of this tournament. They were on goals by Chris Richards and Balligan, our new young American signing. He is uh, he could have chose all these other countries, England, you know, and here he is choosing the U.S. and scoring in his second ever game. Pepe scored in the first game. You got some young strikers competing for spots. That's pretty awesome. Sorry, my voice is getting worse as the as the night goes on here. I'm really worn out from all the screaming at the uh, Sporting KC loss. Probably should have sat right next to the drums. What can you do? It is time, though, for the digital crawl, y'all. So I just got a couple quick things, and I'll get you out of there. Sporting KC 2 has played twice in the last week since we talked to you. On Wednesday, they played the Tacoma Defiance. This is the Seattle Sounders MLS Next Pro team, and they tied 2-2. But then they went on to win in the penalty kick shootout. So that was exciting. They got an extra point. There's no ties in MLS Next Pro. They always go to a shootout. And somebody wins and gets two points instead of one point for a tie. So that's big. In that game, they had seven players from the first team on loan. Ozzy Cisneros, Danny Flores, Chris Rindolf, uh, Steven Afrifra, Cam Duke, Felipe Hernandez, and John Poolscamp in net. Now, I haven't gotten to watch the second game, but I accidentally saw the score, so I'll just tell it to you all anyways. Sporting KC2 on Sunday went on to beat LAFC2, 2 to nothing. Now, they did that weirdly on the road. Why they wouldn't play in the same city as the first teams were playing. I was just complaining how they don't do the the first teams and the second teams playing each other in the same weekends just a couple weeks ago. And now here they do it and they're in opposite cities. So dumb because guys that sat on the bench for Sporting KC on Saturday night could have then played on Sunday to give them some minutes. So that's kind of a bummer. I don't know what's going on with that. The last item I have for you in the crawl before we talk about the upcoming schedule is Gianluca Buzio. He got a call back to the U.S. men's national team while the Nations League has just ended. The U.S. is also involved in the Gold Cup this summer and they're taking a bit of a B team to it. It's a lot of MLS guys or fringe European guys and Buzio is one of those guys. He's not even getting consistent minutes for Venezia in the second division of Italy. So it uh, makes sense that he might be a little further down the depth chart, but returning to the men's national team, pretty cool. He's been in Kansas City for a little bit, seen him on the on Instagram with uh, Jake Davis, his old buddy. And then obviously he was in the locker room uh, the week before where we got those nice Buzio quotes where Shally's uh, <laughs> trying to get him to come back to Sporting KC. We'll see if uh, uh, Daniel and friends can work their magic. All right, let's get you out of here with the upcoming schedule on Wednesday. Sporting Kansas City are on the road at the LA Galaxy. That's Wednesday, June 21st at 9.30 p.m. late kickoff. Uh, luckily, I don't sleep, so I'll be covering that one. Uh, Casey Current then go on the road on Saturday at the Orlando Pride. That's June 24th at 6 p.m. Sporting KC then that same night hosts the Chicago Fire in Children's Mercy Park at 7.30 p.m. So a little bit of overlapping games there. That's going to be tough to catch on both. And then SKC2 are going to host North Texas SC. This is FC Dallas's MLS Next Pro team. 
Sunday, June 25th, 6 p.m. at Rock Chalk Park out in Lawrence. If you can get out to that game, if you all listen this far, big kudos. My voice is a real struggle right now. This might be tough to hear. It's, it's tough for me to talk for sure. We'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends. I met a few people in the cauldron and talked to them about it. And hopefully you all listened, but I doubt you listened this long. Just search for The Glory Casey wherever you get your podcasts. Love to get that five-star rating and review from you. I know it's we ask every time, but it does help people find the podcast. And if you are really enjoying it, we'd love for you to write something about it. We don't have to read it, but you can go on Spotify and just click the five stars or on Apple Podcasts. You can actually write something up. Or if you prefer, you can reach out to us on social media at For The Glory Casey on Instagram. Facebook, Twitter. You can email us for the glory Casey at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at play for 90. Here's Christian Leo with write it like you mean it. Take care, everybody.